And we're going to look at today the man who pressed on, Philippians chapter 3, 10 to 15, verses 10 to 15. Paul is the man who pressed on, and we're supposed to learn from him. Philippians 3, we'll look at verses 10 to 15. We'll just concentrate on verses 12 to 14 as we study the passage. So notice here, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So we're going to get in this passage here in just a minute. Uh, Yannick, it sounds a little canny. Is that just me? It is me. I'm the one talking. I sound like a can. So if you could adjust that a little bit, appreciate it. Um, so here you, here's, our, here's our Bible passage here. This is the book of Philippians. This is what we need as a church. This church needed it 2,000 years ago. God's preserved it because every church needs it since. Paul's instructing a church. He's teaching them to rejoice in the Lord. He's teaching them how good you have it in the Lord. He's teaching uh, little hints and helps uh, that you need along the journey. And this passage starts out with Paul, or our passage today starts out with Paul showing a great desire for something. Verse 10, I want to know the Lord, that I may know Him. And then he goes on, he starts to speak about, in the verses we just read, the imagery he speaks about is the imagery of running, the imagery of a race. Paul has often put that imagery in his writings. In 1 Corinthians 9, he pictures your life and my life as a race. Galatians, he, he makes a comment to the Galatians that they had quit running the race, or they, they ran well and they stopped running well. Whoever the writer of Hebrews was puts the same thing. And now he puts it here, the running a race. Paul viewed his life as a race, but not just that he viewed it as a race. He viewed it as the need, as he was in the race, that his issue was to press on. The word press is really the key word that the whole message is organized around today. Verse 14, I press toward. There's only one word we're really organizing the whole message around is the word press. Paul, um, listen to the, you know, with the Apostle Paul, years before this, and Rusty was telling us about this a little bit, years before this was written, years before, I don't know how many, a man, was his name was Saul. Many of you know this. His name was Saul. And he had, um, as we're told in chapter 3, He had a fantastic elite upbringing, uh, uh, refined upbringing in the mind of of a Jewish person. You know, we meet people in our country, all you were brought up in this city or this town by these people with this income and this education. Ooh, 
That's how Paul was in a way. I don't know how wealthy he was, but he definitely had a religiously refined upbringing. He was from a fantastic tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. His religious uh, level was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, he was the very moralistic person, kept all the, uh, the laws and the extra, extra too many traditions that they added to their law. That's how Paul was. Paul had, um, uh, and even gone on, Paul had, was so zealous for not just the Jewish scriptures, which we should be. He went overboard, added a lot of tradition and extra stuff to his, to his religious walk. And then, you know what he started doing? Looking around at other people that weren't doing that and going after them who weren't like him. Going after them violently, especially going after Christians. Saul, who's now Paul, who's the writer of this, Saul was a persecutor of Christians. You know what? He, he abused Christians. He troubled them. He persecuted them exceedingly. The Bible talks about it in Acts chapter 26 that he was, he was violent and he caused them to blaspheme and troubled many of them. He gave his voice against Christians when they were to be put to death. This guy who's writing this book had a horrible past, but then he had a past that was like, well, that's actually pretty good, and then that's actually pretty bad. Good and bad in his past. But now he's viewing his life as, I got to move forward. Because one day when he was on his way doing his business of arresting Christians and persecuting Christians. There he is going down the road on Damascus on a donkey or on a horse or whatever. And he fell to the ground. And at midday, high noon, when it's supposed to be bright already, at high noon, the sun didn't blind him. Something beyond the brightness of the sun, beyond it, a heaven, another heavenly one, as in from God, uh, uh, shone round about him and blinded him. And a voice came from that light and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he got to know Jesus right quick and believed on him. And Jesus said to him in Acts 26, I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make you a witness and a testimony of the things that you just now saw and of more things I'm going to tell you about. I'm going to be delivering you from the Gentiles and from these Jews. And now unto, now, unto them also, I'm going to send you back to those Gentiles. And I'm going to have you preach the gospel to them. I'm going to have you turn their minds, for, or their, uh, their minds from darkness to light. I'm going to have you turn Gentiles, those Gentiles that you think you're so far above. I'm going to have you preach a message to them and have you turn their, their lives from the power of Satan to the power of God and from being uh, lost to being found, from being in sin to being forgiveness of sins, I got a job for you, Saul. I've arrested you. You're under arrest. You're mine now. And now I want you to go do this job I just told you to go do. That's the, that's the language here that that's describes Paul's encounter with the Lord. He was apprehended. And so Paul, his life changed right quick on one day. Three days later, he was blind for three days. Three days later, he gets baptized and he gets, he gets moving. And he was never the same. And he was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. Right. He pressed on and did. I mean, he was literally running 100 miles an hour in, in this self-righteous direction that included thinking you're righteous by doing all these good things and thinking you, you're right with God just because you're moral thinking you're right with God because you're killing Christians. That's what he thought. 
thinking you're a great person just because you were birthed from a, a, a genetic tribe. That, that made, He had this mindset that he was so righteous because of all these things, and he was really going against God. The Lord Jesus met him on that road and turned him around and says, no, go this way now, and you're mine. And so Paul, in other words, Jesus saved Paul drastically, dramatically. Paul, and then Paul began to live for Jesus, and he went on the other way. And when he went on the other way, guess what? He was running into the, some people that were trying to do what he was doing. He met Jews who wanted to kill Christians too, and he bumped into them. They're like, well, you're a Christian now? Yep. And they want, now they want to kill Paul. Uh, he met um, uh, kings who were against what he was doing, like King Agrippa and uh, uh, some others, governors who were against what he was doing. And he, but he had to press on through that. Paul had to continue to live for Jesus, trying to go around the world and planting a church and teaching the gospel and teaching these Gentiles who are unlike him how to just live for this Jewish Messiah and teaching and preaching to them. And, and he had to press on through new lands, new meal, new food, new, uh, new uh, uh, places of uh, pressure, new sounds, new smells, press on through that. He had to press on through being persecuted. He had to press on through being apprehended by his so-called Jewish brethren, thrown out of a city and taken a bunch of rocks and they stoned him to death. And he gets up later and walks on 30 miles the next day. He pressed on to do that. He had to press on through probably some bad eyesight. He had to press on through sometimes being weak and showing up at a church that he's supposed to preach at. And he was weak and his speech was contemptible and his bodily presence was weak. Well, his bodily presence was not that impressive and people were like, I don't know about this guest preacher. He had to press on through that stuff. He had to press on through some thorn in the flesh that discouraged him that Satan kept agitating him with. He had to press on through that and he found a way to press on through that because Jesus says, if Satan agitates you with that thorn in the flesh, I, you get a new grace from me. And so he pressed on through that. He had to press on through land, through sea, through shipwreck, through floating in the ocean on a piece of wood and, and, and landing on an island called Malta where there's barbarous people. And he makes a fire because everybody's cold. And he uh, throws a, uh, grabs a stick and the viper comes out and bites him and he's healed of it. And he has to press on through all kinds of stuff. And by the way, when he gets bit by the viper uh, 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 during that fire, people thought, oh, you're a bad boy. Karma's getting you. And he had to press on through misunderstanding and pain and shipwreck and people going after him and being uh, beaten and animals going after him. And he pressed on. And having friends that were with you and traveled with you and then they forsake you toward the end of your life. He had to press on. He looked at his life as a race and his word is, I'm going to push on until I'm done, which means till he's dead. That's what he's describing in this text. He says this, verse 14, middle of the whole conversation, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 15 is where, no, that's nice for Paul. Yeah, good, Paul. You're such a good guy. I'd like to read a, kind of a different biography of you. Just kind of collect all this stuff in the Bible, make it simple. Very interesting. No, now he says it's for you. Look at verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, that means mature, be thus minded. Be that minded. So in other words, we're sitting here today thinking of Paul. What a guy! Man, Paul, 
she pressed on through all that stuff. I read somewhere you probably weren't even good looking. They said you were short, crooked back, and a big nose. Who knows? You know. I read, boy, Paul, how did you do all that stuff? Man, wow, that's interesting. Now, Paul says, I pressed on. It's your turn. If you want to be a mature Christian, as many as be perfect, that means just mature. Be that mind. Be a person who's minded to, I'm just going to, I'm living my Christian life today. The girl's saying a day-by-day thing. That's how Christian life is. I'm living my Christian life today. Today, I'm going to press on with whatever Jesus says to me. Versus saying, I know Jesus says something to me, but I don't want to listen to him anymore. You know, that's what we do inside, don't we? You might not do that nicely. I'm not going to press on anymore. I know what Jesus says. Maybe next month I'll go to church or something. No, Paul says, now you, if you're going to be mature-minded, if you're going to be a mature Christian, you have to have a press-on mindset. That you have to have. That's what he's telling me. That's what he's telling you. Sir, what is press? It means to surge, to push, to pursue. Pursue what? Whatever Jesus has told you to do. If it's something little or some grand life calling, pursue that. Or if it's just something he said today. Or something that you remember him saying in a service. Well, press on then. Instead of living a Christian life. Press on. That's the word. So here's, here's how, so do I have, so wait a minute. So let's all think back at ourselves. Do I have a press on mindset? Do I have a, I'm going to keep surging. I'm just going to keep going for the Lord. I'm not saying, do I, I'm not, by the way, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying, hey, you know, you should do something hard and 100% every single day and never rest. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying not to have days off and vacations and stuff like that. I'm just saying for us as Christians, sometimes we start to mentally quit, and then you start to physically quit, and then you start to just back off of anything that's of 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 living for God, and you start living for yourself. And it's a this is a great country to live for yourself. This is the best country to live for yourself. And so, but Paul says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I, Jesus is calling me forward in this thing, in Paul's case. Gentiles, deal with them, okay, and tell them stuff you've been telling me, and she, yeah, okay. Paul's, I'm going to keep pressing toward that, through shipwreck, through dogs biting them, through governors not liking them, through friends forsaking I'm just going to press on, that's what he said. And that's what we have to do. So here's what, here's what Paul gives us today. What is, so what is this about then? I see five components to Paul's mentality here. Five components. So let me give you the five statements that the text, I believe, teaches us from verses 12 to 14. He, he, he declares, this pressing on includes him declaring that he's not attained. He's not attained. Number two he shows that he's determined to accomplish what Jesus told him to do. Number three, he deals wisely with his past. Number four, he's dedicated to whatever is right in front of him. And number five, he's driven by reward from God. Those five statements compose our discussion here 
of what Paul's saying in, in here, okay? So what does it mean to be pressing on, to, be a, to have a press-on mindset, to have a mindset that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do it for Jesus and I'm going to do my best. What does it mean to have a press-forward mindset? Number one, like Paul, it means you should declare that you've not attained, that you haven't attained. In other words, don't think you're done. Don't think you've arrived and you've done all the things in the Christian life and now you've attained and now it's time to kick back and retire and draw from some Christian thing where you can just watch other people live the Christian life. Look what Paul says. Here's the point, verse 12. Paul says, not as though I had already attained. Look at verse 12. Either we're already perfect. Um, Then he says in verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Ben, back to verse 12. Not as though I had already attained. He described earlier about knowing Jesus and knowing His power in His life and knowing the experience of fellowship and His suffering. And, and, uh, but he says, I haven't attained. I haven't arrived. Sometimes I've talked to Christians before. They're like, you've arrived. You've done this, 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 and this. And now you're just re- resting and not doing hardly anything. We should never have the attitude of, I've arrived. I've attained, so I'm good. I can just talk about my Christian life. I can talk about my past, and I used to do this, and used to go uh, do this and that. No, Paul has the attitude of, I've not attained. Don't you like this? I would love to have met Paul. I would love to have met Paul, because here's what I would have done. Paul, man, I am messing up in such and such area of my life. I just can't quite get it. He goes, you know, I haven't attained either. I don't have a wife like you, and I know that's where you're messing up, but I have other things, you know. And Paul would be the kind of guy I was like, yeah, I haven't attained either. He's a relatable guy. <laughs> I mean, I can't relate with his Hebrew, but I, he could relate. He's honest, too. He goes, I haven't attained. Either we're already perfect. So, whatever. So, so in other words, when you wake up tomorrow, it's like, you know what? I've not attained everything, so I'm going to keep trying more things for Jesus or even the same things He's told me because I'm not done yet, declares that He's not attained. Number two, what is Paul teaching us about a press-on mindset? He's teaching us that He's determined to accomplish the particular thing Jesus told Him to do. Number two, He's determined to accomplish the particular thing Jesus told Him to do. So look at verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after. Now you've got to catch this whole next step statement. What are you following after? If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. You're like, that sounds kind of weird. Paul's saying, I am going after so that I can grab on to the thing for which Jesus grabbed on to me for. I'm trying to capture the thing for, for the rich, the reason Jesus captured me. Let, me. let me give you an example, and I'm not the best example, but I'll try this. When I was, um, when I played Little League Baseball, and it was fun, and it was okay, I wasn't that great. But I think I played through ninth grade, and it, one of the funnest things, though, that I got to do, I think it was our last year, we got to play at the old Hohokam Stadium. Now, there's a new, some of you know this, it's a spring training stadium in Mesa by Riverview Park. It used to be, uh, well, now it's the A's. I think the A's use the one that's 
on Center Street in Brown. It was a Hohokam Stadium. And, um, and they had rebuilt it since then. It's, that's even a newer one. So they had an old Hohokam Stadium. It was only like a half mile from my grandparents' house. And I would go there to watch games. But also when Little League, there was, a few, there was one season, I don't know why, we actually had games in Hohokam Stadium. It's like, this is cool. We're playing some games. So I'd go in, we were in the, the bullpen or the dugout of, uh, actually, I think we were in both sides before. But I remember we actually played at night one time too. This was really cool. Hohokam Stadium playing at night. I normally would play first base or right field. And I loved first base. That was my, my favorite position. I was, a, I was left-handed also. So I can kind of like if they're trying to pick off a player, I can bring it in close a little easier. At least I felt I could. And, um, but one time, actually it happened a couple times, and I was surprised. I'm playing, and all of a sudden the coach says, hey, Henry, you want to pitch? I was like, yeah. I mean, I, I was okay. I just, I, did, I never really, really, really worked at it. And they had me pitch, and I think it was toward the end of the game. I honestly don't remember what the score was. We may have had the a lead on him maybe that's why he's taking a chance on me and so I got up the pitch on the mound of Holcomb Stadium now I had seen Ryan Sandberg not, not on that mound but I've seen him at second base I'd seen other pitchers on that mound from the Cubs and from the A's because I've been to spring training and I'm like there's other MLB pitchers who've been on this mound there's also been MLB pitchers that's been on this mound that got cut from the team but there's been MLB pitchers that have been on this mound for spring training and here I am and I get a pitch at Holcomb Stadium at night with the lights on me, you know. And it was pretty cool. And so I, I did my wind-up, and I did, you know, pitch. Guys, one guy got on base, and they said, all right, you need to do the stretch. Get it? That's, you change your, you don't, when you're pitching with, with nobody on base, you just do kind of a little step back, step forward, and that's your wind-up. But when somebody's on, on base, you have, to, you have to do a shorter move before you pitch it. And so I wasn't doing my stretch very well. And I was not as good. And they're like, and they're trying to correct me. Well, anyways, I, I, I pitched the rest of the game. It went okay. I think we won. But I remember after that game, I'm like, wait, he picked me to pitch. And he didn't like my stretch. I'm going to work on that. So then I started working on my stretch. You know, you go like this and you make sure you don't balk and everything. And, and I worked on throwing. They needed a lefty. Lefties are rare. You know, sometimes you need a lefty to, to throw against another left-handed uh, batter. And so I worked on my stretch, and I think it maybe got to pitch one or two more times, never a full game. I remember thinking, I remember this thinking, I was surprised that I was apprehended, <laughs> that I was picked. But once I was picked, I'm like, I'm going to work on this so that I can be, fulfill the reason for which they picked me. I'm going to work on my stretch. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, listen, Jesus... I wasn't looking for Jesus. I was looking against him. And he came and arrested me and picked me and saved me. And now you want me to do what? Well, I'm going to go after that then. He says, so now I'm trying to apprehend. I'm trying to grab onto the thing for which Jesus snatched me up for. He snatched me up for a reason. Now ask yourself, why did God save me? Why, ask yourself, why did God save me? He saved me to do something that makes him look good. That means, you know, chief end of all men is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our end. That's why Jesus saved you, to glorify Him 
through picking up a baseball or picking up a hammer or typing on a computer or cooking something in the kitchen or raising some kids or raising some uh, or, or being a dad or being a mom or maybe something even more narrowed even in addition to that more narrowed like I'm called to be a, a, a certain type of person in a Christian ministry or a certain type of career. God saved you to glorify Him through the things that you put your hand to. And sometimes He gets a specific thing He puts in your life like, I want you to be this thing. So then you apprehend that thing for which He saved you. If, if in other words, in my case, I know that I'm supposed to be a pastor. That's a, I know more, for importantly, I'm supposed to be a good Christian, husband, dad, in that order, and then a pastor. And so I'm trying to apprehend the thing from which he saved me. He saved me so I could be a, his, his son. He saved me so I could marry Deb, and I can be a dad, and I could be a pastor. So I'm going to apprehend. I'm going to go after being the thing for which he apprehended me. Paul's saying, I'm pressing on, and it involves me being determined to accomplish the thing he called me to do. Paul was called to go after Gentiles. Like, I'm going after them Gentiles then. Some of them weird. Some of them smell. Some of them don't like me. But I'm just going to go after that. Press on. Number three, what else about a pressing on mindset? A pressing on mindset. Some of you, you would, we, I thought, almost thought about bringing a whole message on this one point. This is amazing. Paul, in his press on mindset, he says, I got to still deal with, wisely with the past. He deals wisely with his past. Look what he says in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have arrived, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. He's trying to be so focused on the thing that God wants him to do that he says involves dealing with my past forgetting those things which are behind. That could be a whole other message. I have to be able to deal with my past if I want to move forward with my future. That's what he's saying. Now let's just think about, let's put ourselves in, let's be the, let's be the, um, uh, what do you want to say? We're going to examine Paul as, as uh, you know, observers of his, of his, uh, of what he's done in his life. So again, Paul did something. Paul had some things in his past, and he says, "I'm forgetting them." How is Paul forgetting the things that are behind him? What does that mean? Here's what it meant for Paul. First of all, for Paul to truly, properly deal with his past, he he had to acknowledge his past. Well, he already did for us. Chapter 3, he says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. He, he lists all the things that he thought were badges of merit, uh, and they were good things. And then he lists some bad things. He persecuted Christians. And then he lists some very pious things. I was, according to the law, a very uh, uh, righteous person. And so Paul tells us of his past, where he thought he was so righteous, he thought he was so good, yet he was very he was a violent persecutor and abuser of Christians, and he acknowledged it. He acknowledged his past before we're hearing that he forget about it. He's acknowledged it. And then he even, not just did he not acknowledge his past, he evaluated it. He's like, yep, this is my past, brought up this way, used to do this, persecuted Christians, very pious and self-righteous. But as far as the salvation goes, it's all dung. 
He evaluated his past correctly as that's me, I own it. And this part of it is worthless. Now, I'm going to forget that and I'm not going to focus on that and I'm going to move forward. That's what he's saying. In other words, he, um, he evaluated these things of his past as futile and he decides to, what does the word say? Forget, forgetting those things. He's referring to himself. Forgetting those things which are behind. What does that mean to forget those things which are behind? Again, Paul had some things that are behind him that aren't good. Some of them are. And he says, I'm going to, here's what the word means, uncare about them. I'm going to uncare about those things which are behind. You ever, when you're driving, some of your kids, they pass something, they pass a, you know, you're saying, all right, kids, this happens to me. We're just going to go home and I'm going to make lunch today. And they're like, what? There's a McDonald's. <laughs> now we're going home. And Paul's, Paul's talking about his past. He's like, I'm not going to care about it. I'm not going to care. I'm just going to disregard it. He knows, Paul knows he was a, all these, um, a Pharisee, a persecutor, self-righteous attitude, maybe a bunch of other stuff we don't know about. Paul's aware of it. He's like, I'm not going to uncare. <laughs> I'm going to uncare about it. So I can keep moving forward. Now here's the imagery. The imagery is what? Of a... Again, we're talking about Paul. We're learning from his determination to just to zealously live for God each day till the day he dies. And it's wrapped around the word press on. And part of, and part of pressing on involves forgetting stuff that just has no bearing on helping me today. Plus or minuses. And so, the imagery is a runner. Did you know in running, in, I mean, if you're going to run a race, the, the 100 meter or the, 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 the mile or the cross country. They talk about running, especially at a final stretch. Do not look back. And, and even if you go like that, it, this is what it does. If it can throw off your rhythm, it's a slight, it's just a little misuse of energy. You go like that, a little misuse of energy, and now you have to get back in rhythm, and you just you could just take a tenth, I don't know what, something off, off the clock that you didn't have to lose um, to uh, out of focus. <laughs> you know, it's almost better to just, like, just pretend a lion's still chasing you. Just, ah, isn't that what they say for those guys in Kenya? Those guys that are running the, didn't you hear that? They're like, they're just saying, they're always thinking there's a lion chasing them. So they, that's why they're always winning these long cross-country things in, in the Olympics. Maybe because sometimes there is a lion chasing them. But anyways, they're like, when you don't look back, don't look back, you know? And, that, and, and I've seen this. I've seen this happen. I saw, um, you know, there's these things on YouTube, don't never celebrate too early, you know? And you watch a clip of, and one of them is a guy, he ran some cross-country thing. And he's like this, and it's probably like here, between here and, and the wall there. And he's running, and he's like, yeah, I got this down. There's a guy catching up with him. He doesn't know it. And he's like this, and then he goes like this, and he goes like that. He looks to the side, and the guy just passes him. And he just that glance, just letting up a little bit even, whoa. 
I, so what I, I guess, what does that mean to us? That's interesting running stuff, Pastor. Here's what this means is the idea is that it's a misuse of energy for you and I to keep thinking back on how great we were or keep thinking back on how bad we were. Ooh. Ooh. You know what you need to do? Do what Paul says. Say, this is me. I was good here, but it doesn't help me today. This is me. I was a bad boy here or a bad boy girl. That's my life. That's me. I'm bad. I need to make up with other people. Fine. That's it. I'm going to own it. And now I'm going to move on. That's what you do. You don't pretend like nothing was bad in the past. Then you're going to have problems. You can't move on unless you own what your past is. That was me. Paul says, you know what I used to be? This, this, and that. That was me, and it's junky, and I'm moving on. He didn't deny it. So if you've done somebody wrong, own up to it, deal with them, and then go like that. If you never own up, or if you're in denial of something, you can't press on forward either. And so this is what Paul's doing. Part of pressing forward is dealing wisely with this past, which means owning it, evaluating it, and deciding to move on. It's like you're driving a car. (laughs) There's two things really in front of your face. One's big, one's small. There's a big windshield. Yeah. And there's a little rearview mirror. It's supposed to be in that proportion. Right? Well proportioned. It's designed that way for safe driving. Because the main thing is to look forward and, yeah, I'll glance at the past, but... I'm not going to stare at it, nor do I want, you know, I want a bigger rear view mirror. How about one this big and then a little windshield? No, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Well, that's how some people are living. They're constantly just thinking back and looking back and looking back and looking back, and they're nearly going to run into something or you're not going to get anywhere. And that's the whole idea here is that I don't want to misuse my emotional, mental energy by constantly musing on what's behind me, even if it was success or if it was a failure, okay? You can't do that. I have to live today as if this is my first day of my Christian life. I think Paul was that kind of guy. You meet him, you're like, almost like, this is the first day of my Christian life type of thing. I feel like that's how he would be. So what else does Paul say? He deals wisely with his past. A couple more points. He's dedicated to whatever's in front of him. Look at verse 13. Brethren, I've count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth, look what it says in verse 13, reaching forth unto those things which are right there, right before me. Hey, there's something new today. I mean, Paul is confined here today in, this, in here, but he's thinking, whatever's in front of me that I got to do, I'm going to reach for it. I got to write another epistle to Philemon or something. All right, let's do it. I got to write to the Galatians. All right i got to deal with this Roman soldier here today that says he doesn't like my kosher food. All right. You know, I mean, whatever it is, he's going to reach forth with whatever's before him. Maybe, in other words, he had a zealous, uh, energetic, he had a um, uh, pursuing attitude about whatever was in front of him. i got to do this. Okay, I'm going to reach forth into it. I'm not going to go around it. I'm not going to avoid it dedicated to what's before him. What's before you? What's before us as a church? Grab a bulletin. Look at the next visitation, the next prayer meeting, the next thing on the calendar, something this summer, a Bible time. Reach forth for it. Press on for it, whatever we do. 
What about in your life that's, that you know lines up with, the, with God's plans? What's in your calendar? Does that line up with God's plan? Press for it then. If, it, if you know it lines up with what the, the plan of God is and His calls and His word, dedicated to what's before number four. Number five, driven. This is the last point. He's driven. Paul is driven by what? He's driven, number five, by reward from God. Fourteen. Paul say, I toward the mark, it's describing a finish line. I'm pressed toward the finish line. I'm running. This is an image of my Christian life. And I press toward the mark for what? For the prize. The prize that comes from following the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. By the way, anything that Paul, everything that Paul's viewed as God called him to do was a high calling. You want me to go to Gentiles? You want me to be thought of as scum sometimes and shipwrecked and treated as a criminal and misaligned? That's a high calling because you've called me to do it. All right, I'm going to do it. Even if other people think it's scummy and a waste of time and, and all these things, I'm going to press toward the, the prize for doing that. To the end, till I die. For the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, it's, going to be, it's considered a high calling in your eyes. If you say to do it, it's important. If you tell me to mop a floor, it's important. It's a high calling. If you tell me to clean a Gentile's toilet, it's a high calling. I'll press toward it because there's a prize from you for it. That's what his attitude is. Isn't that amazing? Whatever God says for you to do, high calling. High calling. And there's a prize. And he says he's motivated by a prize. You know, kids get like that. Do I get a prize, a quiet seat price today? I don't know if you think Sonny thinks he's going to do a quiet seat price today. I know. Yeah. Yeah. They, the kids want to do the or participation prize, you know, something like that. Listen, think about this. Some people are like, you shouldn't serve God for rewards. Man, you know, somebody that says that has never read the words of Jesus. You shouldn't do something to get a reward from God. Haven't you ever read what Jesus says? He talks about people serving him for reward all the time. He says, you serve me, I got something for you in heaven. You, give, you take care of these good talents, I got something for you. Jesus talks about reward all the time. And Paul says, reward for me. He rewards the best. Sometimes my kids don't like my rewards. I'm like, all right, guys, listen. We're going to go, and you're going to help me today. And afterwards, I try to make it a good reward. We'll get some donuts. But if there's no discounted donuts <laughs> marked down from six bucks to two dollars, then we're gonna have to settle on some generic chips ahoy. <laughs> they're like, oh dad, generic chips ahoy that tastes like fake chocolate. You know, I thought it was gonna be the donuts. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry they weren't discounted. So, you know, sometimes I, I, I'm not always good with rewards. I need to work on that or a prize. But but God, whatever God's reward is. Is good. Now, again, we have to live by faith. God's going to reward you for the good you've done for Him with the right motive, with how long or short you've lived. He's got a reward for you, and it's good. It's not cheap. Paul says, I'm motivated by God's reward. Reward for being faithful when nobody is watching, for saying no to temptation when nobody is watching, for being generous when nobody about it, for giving of yourself. He sees all, got it marked down, got his ledger. He's got it. For doing something when it's hard or doing it when it's easy is reward from God. Paul's driven by that. You know, he even says in 1 Corinthians 9, 25, 
so run that you might obtain a reward. 1 Corinthians 9.24. I'm glad Jesus was, did you know Jesus was driven by reward for us? He looks at you and I as a reward. It says that he endured the cross uh, 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 because, I'm paraphrasing, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. I believe what that's saying is Jesus is like, I'm motivated by the joy of having these redeemed people. And he's, he was motivated by the reward of having you and I. So he endured, he pressed on through the cross. He was motivated. We make, we will make, we'll make Jesus happy and give him joy as a group being redeemed unto him. He pressed on to have that. So we should press on because God's got a reward for me and for you. A couple things will wind this down. Paul, where is he? He's confined. And yet he has this attitude. A pressing on attitude knows no boundaries. Rich or poor, in a prison or a platform, in a big church or a small church, have a press-on attitude. Have a, I'm going I'm to do what I best, the best I can for God right now attitude. It knows no status, single, married, divorced, widowed. It knows no place, homework or classroom. Press on. I remember what good, well, let me ask you this. What good thing have you ceased pressing on toward? Do you have this attitude like Paul? That's what he says, be like-minded, verse 15. As many as be perfect, be thus-minded. I, I love, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I'm not, I wasn't fast, but I love watching the 100-meter dash, the 100-meter. And uh, even as a kid, watch, I watched Carl Lewis in the 80s run. And then Ben Johnson, of course, cheated from Canada in, the, I think, the 90s. And, um, uh, and then in the late to early 2000s, Justin Gatlin from here got in trouble for doping, and it's con controversial, did he, you know. And, but he got in trouble twice, and he paid the fine. It was disqualified and apparently re reset himself as a runner. And, and then I started watching him like, this guy's pretty good, Justin Gatlin. And one of the, my favorite races, and I didn't get to see it live. I watched it probably two or three years after it happened. I didn't even know it happened. Was I saw Justin Gatlin, and the guy's like six one, maybe six foot, 175 pounds. He was 35 years old. That's an old dude for 100 meter dash, but for other things, young. <laughs> so, 35 years old. He was running the 100 meters at the 2017 World Championships. And this was the coolest thing. I didn't know this was going to happen. I see him line up. So it has like uh, Usain Bolt, which I love watching that guy. This is, it just looks good. Man, he looks good running. You might as well run out, run with a cheetah. You know, he's just, wow, look at that guy. Smiling, you know. <laughs> taking pictures at the end, you know, all that stuff. He just, I like watching. There was like Usain Bolt. There was another guy from Jamaica. There was a um, really fast guy, uh, Christian Coleman is his name. He was shorter. If he had the proportionate sizes of Bolt as Usain Bolt, he would beat Usain Bolt. But he was short. He was really, really fast, Christian Coleman. I think he still runs. And he was young. I think he was probably 20 in this race, perhaps. 
And um, so the top racers, Bolt, Coleman, a couple other guys, and then um, Justin Gatlin, the 35-year-old dude, the old guy. I'm like, and when I'm going, I didn't know this. I was just watching a YouTube race. I'm like, oh, this is going to be pretty cool. Oh, the old guy. Gatlin, yeah. I'm not kidding you. You can see gray hair. I was like, no way. The dude's got, is that gray hair? He had little, just a little pepper of gray hair. I thought, look at this. I'm going for the old guy. You know, and he's like the second to the last this way, maybe lane seven or something. And they, and, and, and they you know, they got him set and ready, go, fire, whatever. And they got all set and they took off. And I'm like, Bolt is going to clean him up. That was, his, that was Usain Bolt's last 100 meter. Because he has the world record. I think he has the two top best world record time for 100 meter. And he is just incredibly fast. So they take off. And, and it's like, I couldn't remember everybody, but I remember it was like Bolt and Coleman. There may have been another guy. And I'm pretty sure uh, Justin Gantwell was like third or fourth place. And that race is going, it goes like, you know, 10 seconds or less, you know. And they're running, and then you can see right at the end, you can see him like, oh, he's coming up. And Justin Gatlin's surge, it seemed like just right at the end, by about, it seemed like he was at least third place. And he surged right at the end. It looked like it was a three-way tie like that at the end. And Bolt and, and Coleman thought they had it, and Gatlin didn't know. And it showed that Justin Gatlin beat it. I mean, if you watch it, he, you could just feel his intensity surging, pressing forward like that right at the end. And I mean, literally, you could watch. Don't do it now. Don't watch YouTube now. But right at the end, he just does that like surge like that, and he won by probably his head. You know, I thought that is awesome. I love watching. I'm like, yeah, the old guy. It's cool. Oh, I mean, he's kind of young to me now, but, uh, but 35 years old is an old guy for that. And um, I thought, that guy, he did not let up, and he, and he won. I almost think he surprised himself. And I thought, what a great example of just surging. You think, oh, you're 35, man, retire. He, by the way, he just retired last month at age 40. <laughs> like, you're 35, retire, man, let up. He didn't. And I think some of us can have, maybe we could just have that little intensity applied to where you're at now. What, it's, ask yourself, am I letting up on living for God? Not physically, all of us wear down. I'm not talking about, I used to work for 60 hours a week, now I only work 40. Or I used to work 40, now I only I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about even the mentality. Paul says, be of this mind. Have this mind of, I'm going to... I'm going to surge. Whatever I'm doing for Jesus, I'm going to lean into it. That's what he's calling us to do. That's what Paul did. He says, be like-minded. 